Halford and Brough show continuing now, one minute after seven. Starting the second period of play here, Halford and Brough will be back on Tuesday of next week. Thanks for putting up with us, Dan O'Connor, myself. A-Dog's here all the time. But putting up with us anyway for the last three days. Been fun, been fun. Two more hours to go. Second period of play just getting underway. We come your way from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Brady Henderson now joins us, the fine Seahawk reporter courtesy of ESPN. Hi, Brady. Good morning. Welcome to the big show, my friend. Thanks for doing this. Hey, you bet. Thanks for having me. How's it going? It's going okay. How's it going for the Seahawks? What's happened? What happened to the Seahawks, my friend? Oh, boy. How much time we got? We got yeah, two they, hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they were sitting pretty at 6-3, and three, uh, and everything was going right for them. And uh, I think they've come back down to earth a little bit, uh, losing five of six games. Uh, they're banged up. Run game has kind of fallen off. Geno Smith's production has dipped, and yet, with all that's gone wrong for them over the last month and a half, you know, they're still very much in playoff contention. They're going to have to most likely win their final two games uh, and get some help with Green Bay losing at least one. I think Washington also has to lose uh, at least one of their games. And so uh, as bad as it's been, you know, there's there's a decent chance that they make the playoffs. Now, I, I don't know if they're built to go on the road and beat anybody in the playoffs. You know, I don't think they're going to go to Minneapolis or um, – Philadelphia and beat one of those teams, but they've, they've got a chance to sneak in there. And when you're in there, you never know what could happen, but they certainly got to win this game versus the Jets. And this game's going to be harder for them with Mike White at quarterback than it would be with Zach Wilson uh, playing for the Jets. Record right now, what, seven and eight? For I mean, would you have yeah. thought, what were you expecting when the season started? Were you thinking this is going to be a, you know, a seven and eight and eight and nine season? Were you thinking it's going to be a four win season? What were you expecting? I think I picked seven wins. I think I picked them to go uh, seven and ten before the season. And my thought process was a little different than how it's played out because I thought that they uh, were going to have a good enough roster around the quarterback to be competitive and to, and to remain in games and, and to you know win a few. Uh, but I had you know questions about the quarterback, whether it was Drew Locke or Geno Smith playing, and I thought that you know they would they would lose a lot of close games. That you know having you know, games that they would have won when they had Russell Wilson, who was so good at pulling out those late game victories. And so um, it's really been the opposite of that, actually. It's, you know, they've had, they've gotten, you know, quarterback play that's been more than good enough, even with, again, Geno Smith's production kind of dipping a little bit. Uh, and it's the rest of their team around him that is kind of faltered with the run defense uh, being terrible, the run game really falling off. Now, I think both of those two things have, uh, kind of shown some signs of life lately with, you know, I, I know the, the run game uh, kind of had that bad finish against the 49ers, but by and large it was it was okay in that game. And then, uh, you know, their defense, I think, bowed up in the second half against, against the Chiefs. And you look at 24 points, and that doesn't look all that impressive. Uh, but, again, that's the number one offense in the NFL. And in the second half of that game, they, they did some good things. So it, it could be a sign that, their defense is starting to turn back around, and then you saw you know the run game kind of come alive there in the second half. So really for the first time in, I would say, a month or so that they've had a run game. So maybe some signs of life that it's going to have to be the case for them because um, you know, they're not going to win these final two games if they played you know, like they have uh, you know, during that stretch, by and large, where they lost five of six. 
Brady, Geno Smith has had a Pro Bowl caliber season as quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. File that under things we didn't necessarily expect at the start of the season. So with that said, and given the high draft pick that the Seattle Seahawks are going to get because of the floundering Denver Broncos, has Geno Smith bought himself another season or two um, behind center for the Seahawks in your mind? Are they a team that big picture should be looking at a quarterback in the 2023 NFL draft? I think, I think the answer to both of those questions is yes. Uh, And it's not necessarily one or the other. I I do think that Gino um, deserves a longer look with Seattle. What I, I, I don't know, however, is, if that deal is going to happen before free agency. And I, and I say that because, you know, look at the way Gino has played. He's been one of the you know 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's also been the most underpaid player in the NFL this season. And, you know, if you look at his career, he is only, I put only in air quotes because it's a lot of money to uh, a normal person, but he's only made $14 million over 10 seasons, which is not a whole lot for an NFL quarterback. And so, I really get the impression that he is going to want to try to max his earnings out and he's not going to be interested in giving any sort of discount. Um, and I also wonder if he's really going to want to see what is out there. Um, and unless the Seahawks offer him a deal before free agency, that's in line with the franchise tag. And that's projected to be around 31 and a half million dollars. So unless they, unless they offer him something that, you know, that's, you know, the starting point on a multi-year deal, then I could see him saying, look, I'm, I'm going to go see what's out there. And, and if you don't, if you don't, if you want to stop me from getting there, you can franchise tag me. If not, I'm going to hit the market and see what I can get. And I can also see the Seahawks being reluctant to give him that kind of money without knowing that he's going to have a strong enough market uh, to give him that kind of deal. And, you know, you can look at the, the, the numbers and the numbers clearly say that he's a top 10 guy and the top 10 quarterbacks all make, you know, well above $30 million, whatever that is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that another team is going to be willing to pay him that kind of money when it's a a better draft for quarterbacks uh, this year than it was last year. You've also got some other big-name quarterbacks who are likely going to be available with Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, maybe Tom Brady, maybe even Derek Carr, you know, guys that that aren't playing as well this season as Geno Smith but do have a a longer track record than him. And so um, I think the Seahawks are going to – you know they're going to have to figure out what is, what would the rest of the NFL pay Geno Smith before they make him an offer? And I think whatever offer they make him, or whatever they do, whether it's trying to sign him before free agency or letting him get there, I think that's going to be rooted in a pretty good feel for what the rest of the NFL would be willing to pay Geno. When you look at the NFC playoff picture, Brady, you see you know the the fringe teams being the New York Giants. Uh, Detroit Lions, Seattle Seahawks, Washington Commanders, you know, all sort of in that mix. Is there a team of the four that I just mentioned? Heck, let's throw the Packers in there as well. So, you know, two spaces really for five teams, Giants, Commanders, Seahawks, Lions, Packers. Is there one team in that mix that maybe has even a slight edge over the other if it's you sort of surveying the situation objectively? Meaning in, in terms of making the playoffs or in terms Correct. of making some noise in the playoffs? Yeah. Uh, um, let's let's go making, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably I would just have to say the Giants just by virtue of, of the better record. And, you know, they've got, I think, one more win uh, than the Seahawks and Washington and Detroit, I think it is. And so 
Um, you know, the Seahawks have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Giants, but that no longer comes into play because the Giants have a tie in there. So unless the Seahawks tie one of their final two games, then it's not going to matter. So um, I would probably say the Giants. I don't know what everybody's remaining schedule looks like, uh, so it's hard to say. But I think the Seahawks have, you know, two very winnable games. And so, um, I, you know, I think it could be them. It's just they're, it's, you know, they no longer control their own destiny, so to speak, because they, they've got to get some help. And so um, I think that I think this is going to be a pretty evenly matched game for them this week uh, against the Jets. But I do think they have a slight edge just because, you know, the, the teams that have been giving them trouble have, for the most part have been teams that run the ball well. Um, and that's not the case with the Jets. They, their running game has really fallen off. And so I think that even with Mike White, a quarterback, being able to do some things, I, I, I think that they're going to win this game just because I don't see New York running the ball on them. And I think that, you know, with this slight improvements that they've made, assuming that's real, I, I think that they can squeeze out a win versus the Jets. Uh, and then you got to beat the Rams at home in week 17. And, and you know, it looks like Baker Mayfield is going to be starting for them. That's kind of been a shot in the arm for them. Uh, but that is still a team that, you know, the Seahawks should beat with no Aaron Donald, no Cooper Cup, all the other players they're missing playing at home. You should win that game, especially with the playoffs on the line. So um, I, I don't know who's got the best chance of those four, but I, I think the Seahawks have a decent chance. Again, I don't I don't know if they're going to win a playoff game, but I think they got a chance to sneak it in there. All these home games, Brady, for the Seahawks, too, down the stretch. I would have thought, well, they're going to pluck a victory or two out of here coming into the final two weeks. Is it four straight losses at home now for them? Uh, yeah, let's see. So it was Vegas, uh, Carolina, uh, San Francisco. Yeah, it's at least three, unless I'm missing one in there. My, it's, it's a lot, seven, fifteen, eight in the We're not used what's to that? that. We're not used to that. It's a lot. It is, yeah. Whatever it is, it's a lot. And that's, I think it's also... You know, those have been, with the exception of San Francisco, um, you know, those are teams that they should have beaten. I think, however this season ends up, um, I think it's going to be a positive just because you've identified, you know, a really good draft class. You might have found your quarterback in Geno Smith. You've got the, you know, extra picks this year. So I think it's, you're going to look back in the season and, and think positive, but it's going to be really disappointing knowing some of the games that they dropped, especially at home. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's. I don't think Lumen Field is any tougher of a place to play. I don't think they've lost the, the home field advantage, so to speak. I just think they're not as good as they used to be when they were winning all those games at home. And so um, you no longer can really just assume a victory at home because it's at home. But um, they, it still, you know, should be a tough place to play. And I, I still think that they should win these final two games. Yeah, it's just amazing that they. Uh... I, I, they're not the Seahawks they used to be, so I get it. But uh, you're just not used to seeing them lose at home this much. Uh, what, what? Every week I think about this with Seahawk fans. They want two things. They want a Seahawk win. They want a Bronco loss because for all the reasons we already know. Are you surprised at how poorly Russell, or yeah, Russell Wilson has done down in Denver? Are you surprised at that at all? And the hate that seems to be going. I hate mail. Hate's a harsh word, but but the hate mail he seems to be getting. Well, in terms of whether I'm surprised, I think yes and no. And I say no because, you know, I I talked to people with the Seahawks and I wrote a big story on this before the season. Like, you know, one of the reasons they traded Russell Wilson, it was really two things. It was he wanted out and uh, everybody knows that part, but they also felt like he was very much a declining player. Um, 
and you know the numbers sort of bear that out. The the, the eye test uh, does as well. When you look at you know they felt like, and and this is you know it's it's evident when you watch it that he's not the same quick mobile guy that he was earlier in his career, and they felt like he is going to have a hard time as he gets older and his as his mobility continues to wane. He's going to have a hard time doing what quarterbacks need to do when that happens, which is play from the pocket. And the thought in the building was, you know, he's never been, you know, he's never done what Tom Brady has done throughout his career, what some of those other pocket quarterbacks have done, which is consistently win from the pocket. And they felt like that's what he would have to do uh, as his mobility wanes. And so they felt like he was a declining player, but I don't think they felt like it was happening uh, this quickly. And I don't think they felt like he was going to fall off a cliff like he's done and, I do wonder if some of his struggles in Denver are, you know, not just the physical tools declining, but him just being in a system uh, that is, that is, doesn't suit him for whatever reason, whether it's the, the play calling, uh, whether it's the offense or whether it's, you know, not having a coach who is, you know, reining him in and making him, uh, you know, keeping him in a structure that he had in Seattle that was really getting the most out of him. And so um, that's, to maybe say that, you know, he could be fixed or at least he could be temporarily fixed until that, you know, declining mobility really starts to set his game back uh, even more. And so um, I am surprised. I'm also not surprised in terms of, you know, the, the hate mail. I, I think it is kind of has been gratuitous in some cases. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he always does himself uh, a whole lot of favors with the way that, you know, he comes off. I think it, it can kind of rub people the wrong way, but, some of it has felt a little gratuitous to me. And uh, you just know that a guy who, you know, clearly he wants to win. Clearly he's, you know, one of the all-time competitors. Uh, and I think he's also very conscious of, of how he's viewed. And so, you know, given that, you know, he's taken all the slings and arrows and he's at by far the lowest point of his career, I, I think you do have to kind of feel for the guy because you know it's got to be weighing on him, both uh, losing and also just um, with how much, kind of scrutiny and even ridicule has been on him. And so it's, it's been a tough, tough situation there. Um, and, you know, their, their tough situation is obviously the Seahawks uh, golden ticket. And it's, it's been a lot different this year, um, you know, kind of covering the team and looking ahead to the draft, knowing that this is going to be a top, you know, five pick. And, you know, usually when you're covering the Seahawks, you're, you're you know, you're sort of talking about the fringe first rounders who they might pick late in the first round and there's just not that much, it's just not as big of a deal, you know, as when, as when they're picking in the top five and there's a whole lot of buzz. And uh, so it's going to be an exciting time as bad as it is in Denver. It's, it's a really exciting time for the people in Seattle knowing that they've got a rare, rare opportunity to really find a difference maker at the top of the draft. I want to just sneak this one in, but my brother, you've seen him uh, in the locker room for years as well in Seattle. Has he changed? Has he changed from the demeanor or the way he used to carry himself like five years ago, eight years ago to what you see now, the guy in all the fancy suits and all that it seems to have more of an air about him? Has he always been that way? No, I think, I think early in his career he, was, um, he wasn't really – he didn't really have that. But I don't know if that's – you know, I don't know if that's all that different than a lot of players who, you know, really sort of find a lot of success and they're really – their socioeconomic status changes and, um, you know – so I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's my opinion. That, that's my observation from afar. Now, whether or not he changed sort of personality wise, uh, I don't really know. Cause he always sort of came off as the same guy in press conferences, but you know, I, I don't really, I try not to judge players too much based off of those because that's, you know, what we see of them once or twice a week. And there's a lot more to players than that, than kind of the face that they put on. So, 
Um, he, certainly his, his attire and his style changed. I don't know if his, if his personality changed with that, though. I hear you, my friend. Happy New Year, Brady. Thank you so much for joining us here. We kept you long. I appreciate you uh, putting up with us. Thanks so much, my friend. Hey, happy to do it. Thanks for having me, guys, and I hope you all have a good New Year there. Yeah, celebrate with some football over the weekend as well. Hope the Seahawks can get a win. That's Brady Henderson, ESPN, Seahawk reporter. Tyler Lockett could play as well uh, this weekend coming off an injury, so it appears that Lockett is getting close. Left-hand injury, Dan, that it was surgically repaired. I'm on Brady's website right now. He warmed up before practice yesterday with a wrap on that hand, so he might get back in the lineup too. They can use Tyler Lockett there. Certainly as a target for Gino, Mr. O'Connor. They, they can, and, and I mean, the New York Jets, It's it's the, the schedule makers were, were on to something, obviously, because you've got a, a New York Jets team at the other side in the AFC that are in a, a, a verbatim situation to the Seahawks, and Mike White has been cleared to play at quarterback for the Jets, and what kind of impact is that going to have on, on this plucky Jets team that... Uh, I, I don't think many people would have had pegged for, for a potential would-be playoff team in 2022. So, it, you know, home field is it needs to be an advantage for the Seattle Seahawks. And if you can get Tyler Lockett back yeah, and if Geno Smith can sort of protect the ball, eh, the Seahawks don't win pretty a lot of the time. And, and this game, to me, just absolutely reeks of uh, last possession, eke out a field goal to to come away with the win uh, two defenses that um, I, I know much has been made about the, the New York Jets being a, a, a very strong defense, especially in their secondary. So having that dual threat with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I think is going to do the Seattle Seahawks a world of good because the New York Jets are no joke. They are no longer just a, 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 a pushover in the AFC. Jets 7-8, and eight, Seahawks 7-8, and eight, Sunday in Seattle. Boy, if you're lucky enough to be going to that game, too. Maybe, maybe some Christmas gifts came your way with tickets. Tickets, sport, tickets to a sporting event. Pick the event. Under the tree, huge at any age as well. Make that note every year, boys and girls, moms and dads. You have kids, you don't know what to do, get them tickets to a game. And uh, whether it's the Canucks, it's the Giants, it's uh, BC Lions tickets for next year, whatever the case may be, Seahawks and Jets. This week, Seahawks host the Rams next week. The Inbox, the Dunbar Lumber Inbox, a, small, a smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street. They're in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online to DunbarLumber.com, 650-650. Uh, Jim from Ladner, can you tell me what happened to Tanner Pearson? He went down with an injury for a while. Haven't heard him mention it in a while. That is true. Upper body, I think it's a hand injury, Dan. He's due back. Hand in, injury. In, might be back in the next couple of weeks. Then they've missed Tanner Pearson, I would suggest, on this team. You sort of forget about him, but I think he, you know, he's got a job to do, and he does it well with Vancouver. Uh, one of those guys, too, that, that brings a little bit of experience. And again, not, not to just <laughs> undermine sort of the, the role that Tanner Pearson plays on this team. But, I mean, I think in a, in a best-case scenario, he comes back in, provides a little bit of middle six depth for this Canucks team. And maybe he's a player come trade deadline time where, you know, you're looking to clear salary, you're looking to, to add some draft picks and maybe – you know, replenish the system a little bit. I think if he can come back in mid-January and supply some offense and do just do all the things that Tanner Pearson does that is sort of 
you know endeared himself to this fan base it, it could be a, a another name to sort of throw in there that the Canucks can use and leverage as far as sort of retooling their roster is concerned love this question here from the Dunbar Lumber text line it's an ask us anything what is the dumbest way you have hurt yourself? And that one comes from Melissa in a helicopter. I know we're up against it. We've got to go to break soon. So Melissa in to, a helicopter. Um, oh, gosh. I, I've, a few immediately come to mind for me. Uh, I did go snowboarding three days ago, and, and a, a 37-year-old <laughs> man going on a snowboard, probably not advisable, especially one with, with my skiing abilities, but uh, I, I'm sure I can think of a better one uh, at that. So, you injured and, yourself? And are you still feeling not, that? No, you know what? Actually, not really. Like, a, a little bit of lower body pain, and that's just probably a lot of the ankles and just sort of like the bending down to clamp myself into my to my snowboard. It's It's not really... Uh, a quote-unquote way that I've I've hurt myself, so I'll I'll have to think of a better one. But I'm I'm sure if I give that some serious thought, um, yeah, you know what? E- 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 even instantly, a, a few other ones are coming to mind that maybe we'll get Need into to think a about later it. on the think. show. I once was dumb enough when I was a kid to be I had an axe, and any story that starts with an axe and injury. Probably not a good ending. It could have been worse. But I'm, I've got this axe, and I'm trying to cut a piece of wood. And whatever I'm doing is I'm trying to shave down the side of the wood, but I'm swinging the axe, and I miss the wood, and I hit myself in the leg with the axe right on the, uh, the front calf, ba- or the, uh, the front of my leg, I should say. And uh, I was bleeding a little bit, and I learned after that, yeah, you don't want your legs right behind the wood while you swing an axe. Uh, you might want to... Try and avoid that. So that one, that's the axe question of the day. Andy, anything? I once ran full tilt into a revolving door as a kid, and for some <laughs> reason it didn't turn. Like, it just didn't. I don't know why. It was out of order. I don't know what was going on. And, yeah, I hurt myself pretty bad from that. I was, that, wasn't, that was embarrassing. It wasn't one of my finer moments. So from now on, for your whole life, you make sure the door is unlocked before you go yeah, through? Yeah, I make sure it's actually revolving That's first. good. That's yeah. good. That's good. This actually happened a week ago. No, a week ago? No, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, I got you. Happen again. Ask us anything. 650-650. We were also talking about brushes with greatness, too. Who have you met? Who have you bumped into? Who have you seen that uh, leaps out at you as well as we were talking about the passing of Pele and the chance for people to see him at Empire Stadium years ago uh, legends you saw legends you missed someone says in 1978 in Vegas I played blackjack at the same table with Kojak Telly Savalas if you're old enough to remember Kojak let alone Telly Savalas uh, that same road trip where I was chasing down Charlie Simmer's wife Terry Sims with uh, Mr. Russell back in the early 80s, I saw Telly Savalas, too. He's doing laundry. He was doing laundry at a hotel that we were staying at. It was a, kind of a glitzy hotel, but he was I should say he was in the laundry room. I don't know if he's actually doing it. Maybe it's a place to meet girls. But anyway, Telly Savalas. A Telly Savalas dropped for us as well. Tough to beat that. When we come back, Michael Dick, Vancouver Giant head coach, to join us. Giants three games straight against Victoria. They take on the Royals tonight on the island. We'll talk with him about that. Get his thoughts on what's going on at the World Juniors, too. Zach Ostopchuk had an assist again. He's got a few points he's picking up. Who isn't, frankly, with Team Canada? And we'll get his thoughts on Connor Bedard as well. And also, Mr. Dick is going to be coaching one of the coaches at the Prospects game, January 25th. At the Langley Event Center, I understand there's a few tickets left for that one, just a few, so jump in on that. So we'll get his thoughts on that, too. Stay with us. It is a Ask Us Anything Friday, the Halford and Bruff Show. They're back next Tuesday. I'm Brooke Ward. 
He's Dan O'Connor. That's AC Andy Cole. We, the dog, the A-dog. Uh, we will be back with more on Sportsnet 650 after this timeout. 7.31, midway through the second period of play of Halford and Brock Brookward, Dan O'Connor, A-Dog with you here this morning. Halford and Brock are back on Tuesday. We thank you so much for accepting us into your homes over the last three days. Not as much hate mail at the inbox, 650-650. There's some of it, but not as I was expecting a lot more, frankly. There's actually some love. At this time of year, it's that time you want to do that. Give some love right now to the Vancouver Giants, too, and their head coach, Michael Dick, joining us. The Giants on the road, uh, getting ready to take a ferry over to Victoria and play the Royals tonight. Mr. Dick, thank you for doing this, Michael. Happy New Year to you coming up, my friend. Well, thanks very much. Happy New Year to you guys. Thank you, sir. 35 games played for your team, right in the uh, a fairly comfortable position, uh, tied for fifth place in the Western Conference, playoff-wise. What do you think with your hockey club so far? Are you getting what you thought you'd get from them, Michael? Where are you, or where would you want to be? Well, I, I think we're we're getting a real honest effort from everybody, and uh, you know that's right from the beginning of the season. We felt that we were going to be a competitive team, and we wanted to be in every game, and uh, and I think we've done that. And you know, we've we've found ways to win games. We've also found ways to lose games, and I think. You know, moving into the second half of the season, we want to, you know, we want to start focusing more on, uh, you know, establishing our identity and, uh, and establishing some consistency and finding ways to win. Your identity and finding ways to win, that's something I was looking at earlier this year, too. In particular, if I had to ask you, what are, you were a comeback team earlier this year, too, Michael, and got on a roll after a big comeback earlier this year. Might have been in Victoria. Uh, a 6-5 win leaps out at me. Uh, I can't remember what city you were in, frankly, but it might have been Victoria. But from that point on, it seemed like you were a different hockey club finding its identity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we've we've been down numerous times and found ways to come back and uh you know that's, that's certainly part of the mo of these guys they never quit they uh they, they play hard and they play hard for each other which is the most important part and uh you know we want to we just want to continue that moving forward coach happy new year nice to chat with you always enjoy the opportunity to do so uh the world junior is of course going on right now and there's um a couple of Vancouver Giants connections that we'll hit on first. Uh, one, just a thought about Zach Ostopchuk uh, donning the Maple Leaf for, for the second time in a span of six months, getting a chance to go for another gold medal with Canada. Uh, what he's meant to your team and what he obviously means to Canada. Um, start with Zach, please. And then uh, just uh, sort of tiptoeing off of that, any new information whatsoever you have on the status of Samuel Honzik after uh, uh, what could have been a really scary incident for Slovakia? Yeah, I, I, well, first of all, with Zach, he's, he's obviously he's our leader. He's our captain, and uh, you know, he's played so well for us. You know, from from the back half of last season where he you know he sort of took over the leadership role and. And uh, and coming back from Ottawa this season, I mean, it's so well deserved that he's he's playing for for Team Canada. You know, he he played a big role for us in, in, in the summer tournament, and then obviously he's just carrying that over into into this year. So, um, you know, we're we're obviously real proud of him, and uh, we're looking forward when he's when he's all finished there. We're looking forward to having him back because we miss him right now. Um, as far as Sammy goes, I mean, he's had such a good season, and uh, you know, it's just really tough to see him 
him, uh, you know, out of, first of all, out of Slovakia's lineup because uh, I know how, how hard he worked to get that opportunity, how well he deserved that, and and obviously uh, how much he was looking forward to playing for his country at the World Juniors. So really, really tough injury, but, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, it could have been a lot worse. And, uh, and we're just thankful that it's, uh, you know, it's not a season-ending injury and, and that we're going to have him back at some point. Coach, you've had the distinction of coaching Connor Bedard before. Uh, could you give us just even a small peek behind the curtain into the makeup of this individual, how coachable he is, what kind of teammate he is, and just watching him play in this tournament especially, 14 points in three games, and, and he's just making it look clinical, um, truly exceptional, and, and I don't use that term lightly. Your thoughts, please. Well, he's... Uh... You know, he's, first of all, uh, a really focused, like a razor-sharp, focused, committed uh, individual that, that obviously, uh, you know, he, he's, his, when you talk about exceptional, I, I, I think that's his standard of himself. He, he wants to be that. Uh, every, every time he gets on the ice, he's, he's, a, he's the kind of guy he wants to score. You know, he loves to score, and he's, he's obviously very good at it, so. Um, very good teammate, uh, well respected in the room, and uh, you know again you know, for us last year in the winter tournament, and then even into the summer, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that he was only 16 at that point and, and doing what he was doing. So um, you know it was uh, obviously a pleasure to coach him, and, and he's a very good, not only a very good hockey player, he's a very good person, and uh, and, and was uh, was. It was really, uh, really easy to work with, and uh, and, and obviously got such a great future out of him. One more quick one from me, Coach, when it comes to the World Juniors, and that just has to do with Dennis Williams. Of course, there's a, a large history there between the two of you coaching alongside one another and then coaching against one another, of course, as recent as this season and the playoffs, of course, uh, of 2022. Um, can you just sort of speak to the job he has done, the work he has put in to get this opportunity to be the head coach of Canada at the World Juniors and, and just sort of what you've maybe gleaned from him him and vice versa when it comes to your dynamic together serving as coaches for Canada at the World Juniors and other international events. Well, I, you know, I've, I've known Willie for a long time and uh, we had the opportunity to first work together at the, at the Holinka. Um, well, I guess that was back in 2019-20. Um, so, so he and I worked together at the U18s and then uh, and then you got to know, you know, obviously uh, maintain a pretty, pretty good relationship as, as friends through, you know, through COVID. And then uh, obviously had the opportunity to work together at the World Juniors, and we see him quite a bit down in Everett. So he's, I mean, this opportunity is well deserved. He's he's done such a good job down in Everett with that program, building that culture. They're they're obviously a very competitive team, and uh, and and doing a great job as as the head coach this year. So. Um, well-deserved opportunity for him. Back to Hanzik just for a minute, Coach. He did take, a, it wasn't an Achilles, thankfully, but he took a skate above the Achilles on the back of his leg, and now four to six weeks out anyway, Giants hoping to have him back. My understanding is 
uh, before the season ends for the playoff push. Huge loss, obviously. But players getting injured, you do see this not every day, thankfully, but on the back of the leg. This one higher up. What more can they do to protect themselves in that area, Coach, what, that wouldn't slow them down or hinder their performance? I'm not sure how much you can do uh, in those situations. I mean, you know, this is this is such a dynamic sport when it comes to how fast things happen. I mean, you know, nothing's linear. You know, you're you're constantly uh, changing directions, and uh, you know, with 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 the size and the speed, uh, the impact uh, that you see out there. Um, you know, from from shift to shift, uh, you know those things are going to happen. Unfortunately, especially when you get uh, you get blades as sharp as they are. So, um, you know, I, I I don't know if there's anything else. I mean, it was just sort of a freak accident, and you don't see it very often. But uh, you know, certainly it, was, it could have been a lot worse. Had it been an Achilles, uh, you know, we've seen that before, and and had that happened, that would have been that would have been season ending. Pretend you're a scout for me. This is his draft year. People are saying first rounder, top 15 pick. Now you just lost two months of your season, basically. Does that affect you as a scout if you're looking at what this player can do or where you may take him? No, I, I don't think so. I think obviously you're going to you know, look at the body of work that that you've seen thus far, which which has been very, very impressive. And I, I guess the next thing is, is you're going to see you know how uh, – how the how the recover goes and, and and how he comes back from this and uh, based on what we know of Sammy and and uh, the kind of guy he is uh, he'll come back uh, stronger than ever. Who surprised you on your team this year, Coach? As I'm looking down, you, you're a lot of pop in the bat. You're getting goal production and whatnot, and you're getting goal tending as well. If I wanted to say who's maybe leapt out of the the clouds and dropped upon you that you say, wow, I, I'm getting way more production than I would have expected from that player, who would it be? Well, I, I think, you know, I'm not sure if anybody's really surprised us. I think, obviously, you know, having Sammy Hansik, we didn't know much about him outside of watching the World Junior last year, but, but knowing enough about him. But, again, he comes in and, and does what he does. That was, a, you know, a real pleasant surprise uh, you know, Jaden Lipinski, how well he's played uh, coming back this season. Not a huge surprise, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, uh, I think he's, he's certainly uh, overachieved and and, uh, and now set a new standard coming into the second half of the season. And, and then, you know, honestly, everything else has been by committee. Like, we've had uh, everybody step up in, in, in different situations and in different roles. Brendan Pentecost has played really well for us, um, you know, on the back end. Uh, there are, you know, guys that, uh, that, have, that have done this in their own way, but, uh, but it's certainly been, been done by committee. Coach, the rubber match tonight on the island, the Victoria Royals, third time you've seen them in a span of four days. Just a, a, a quick takeaway of the first two games that you've seen from them post-Christmas and sort of the keys to your team's success tonight to, to get that second victory in a span of three meetings. Well, they, you know, they, they played the same way um, you know, since I've, I've come here and since Dan Price has, has been coaching them. So uh, we knew exactly what, what we were going to see. We, we have competitive games against Victoria, um, you know, since since I've been here. So I don't expect anything different tonight. 
uh, you know, obviously uh, the acquisition of, uh, of Holt has, has bolstered their, their goaltending. And, uh, you know, there's evidence of that. The last game we, we had 34 shots and, and he stopped them all. And, uh, and we had some really good looks. So I, I think for us tonight, you know, we've been focusing a little bit on, on creating more offense and ways we can do that. And, and certainly one of them is, is getting more traffic in front of them. So um, we got to do a better job in the paint. January 25th, Prospects game. You'll be behind one of the benches there. The Twins, the Henrik and Daniel will be there. They're getting split up. Coach, you're going to get one of the two, whether you can tell them apart or not. You'll be have one of the two with you. The other guy will be on the other bench. There's lots going on. But this kid, Connor Bedard, don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, what do you think about Bedard? He'll be there and what he's been able to do at the World Juniors. Well, it's, it's going to be so exciting. I mean, I, you know, obviously getting an opportunity to work with uh, with with either one of them or, or both the Sabine twins is is, uh, is such a such an honor for me and, and and what a great opportunity I had you know obviously the opportunity to, to meet with both of them at the press conference and, and uh, when you find two better people they're they're and 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 very uh, passionate about the game so it'd be a great opportunity for me to learn more about. Uh, about doing things the right way, and and uh, and then you know obviously working with Stan Smeal and Ronnie Delorme as well. So it's gonna be really exciting. And as far as you know, Connor Bedard, uh, you know obviously having the opportunity to work with him before, it'd be exciting to to see him again amongst others. This is a this is a heck of a draft class. This is gonna be a lot of a lot of really good players, and, and should be a very entertaining game. Thank you, boss. We'll see you when you get back home. I guess uh, mid January or so. But enjoy uh, your trip into Victoria and your other road games, my friend. Super. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy, Happy New, New Year, New Coach. Year. Happy New Year. Uh, yes, that Hanzik injury, huh, Dan? And this guy has been lights out for the Giants. Like, so good in his first year. Now, just turned 18. Expected to be in the uh, top of the draft class this year in the first round. That's why I wondered, too, for the kid, too, to try and put more on the board for the scouts to see. Now he's out for a month or two with this leg injury. Could have been worse. That is a drag, but... Uh, I guess people will have to prorate how good this guy's going to be. He has been terrific. And just based on everything that I've gathered, um, you know, still still connected to the organization, just a, a first-class human as well, and that's something that I'm sure is only going to further endear himself to NHL scouts. You know, you, you see it more often, Brooke, than I think you'd like to. You know, with international tournaments, it's almost inevitable that there's going to be you know, a key injury or five that take place during the course of the event. You remember a few years ago at the World Juniors, Kirby Dock, uh, you know, injures himself in a pre-tournament game and then loses so much time trying to recover from that. You know, this instance for for Samuel Hanzik, who goes and and, and suffers sort of a freak injury before Slovakia, you, you know, it's it's... You don't want to say it's a deterrent in any way because you want this is what you do this for, uh, especially for for a European player, a chance to represent your country, something you work so hard to do, and then to have you know such a big chunk of your season halted because of an injury sustained, you know, not even in Western Hockey League play. I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but uh, I think that. The, the, the good thing in this for Sam Honzik is that he's been heavily scouted already because, of course, the the draft 
eligibility, the scouts, the fact that he plays for Vancouver, which and it's such a highly scouted organization, and rightfully so. Th- there's a big book on Sam Honzik. The NHL teams, I'm sure, know already what his strengths are and, and what he projects to be at an NHL level. The hope, obviously, then is, okay, uh, how does he recover from the injury? I can tell you firsthand that the Vancouver Giants and their training staff, led by Mike Bernstein, second to none, uh, the best in junior hockey. So he's in great hands there. You get him back, you get him back for playoffs, you see what he's really all about. Uh, I still think he's a first-round talent, and the injury, if anything, is only going to show scouts how resilient he is, how hard a worker he is, and, and I think big picture, Sam Honzik is going to be just fine. He's a first-rounder for sure. I got him in the top 15 anyway. He may sneak into the top 10, but the injury doesn't help him, that is for sure. Uh, Check us out at the Dunbar Lumber Text Line, 650-650. Smart alternative, folks. you got to visit Dunbar Lumber. They're on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbutus in Vancouver, online at dunbarlumber.com. 650-650 650-650 is the text line. Ask us anything Friday, anything on your mind. Shoot it at us. We'll do our best to answer it. Also, we were talking about brushes with greatness earlier in the program. We continue that, too. Who have you met that stands out at you, like a big person you've met or seen or even watched play? That kind of tied into mind when Pele passed away yesterday. Man, there goes a legend. Have you met any legends? Have you seen legends? What jump out at you? Maybe even who have you missed? What legend do you think? Man, I should have seen Gordy play. I had a chance to see Gordie Howe play. I didn't do it. I had a chance to see Sidney Crosby play. I didn't do it. I turned my back on those tickets, and gosh darn it, I'm kicking myself for that right now. Uh, gentlemen, this is from uh, Gary on the North Shore. Gentlemen, when do uh, the Canucks just raise the white flag and say uncle when it comes to trying to make the playoffs? Do you think Rutherford's hands are tied by Aquilini in making deals to trade up to get better? Uh, Gary from the North Shore. Mr. O'Connor, do you... Would you be waving a right flag right now? I don't expect the Canucks to make it, but there are, what, five points out still with teams to catch and teams to pass, but it's not white flag time for me yet when it comes to the playoffs, though I still don't expect them to make it. It's getting there, and we we sort of go back to what their schedule looks like starting in January, where there's just a murderer's row of opponents. They've got that southern swing where you go and you have to face Carolina, Florida, Tampa Bay, some back-to-backs mixed in. There's Pittsburgh, two games with Colorado, another game with Winnipeg. You've got Calgary tomorrow night in Calgary. So, you know, there is no cushy matchup for this Canucks team coming up over the the span of their next 10 or 11 games. I think you've got to get to the 24th of January where you face Chicago before you finally maybe get a bit of a break and we we sort of know the struggles of the Blackhawks. So uh, white towel time, sort of surrender time for the Vancouver Canucks as far as truly just coming to terms with the fact that the playoffs are going to be an incredible challenge realistically, we're probably there already. I, I don't think that the players in that locker room are going to subscribe to that theory. Uh, and and certainly if I'm a, a coach, if I'm in management, and if I'm a, a fan of the organization, uh, I don't know if I want my players to show up at the rink every night sort of at peace with losing and at peace with mediocrity. And I don't think you're going to get that with this group. But as far as, you know, being... 100% certain and steadfast in the direction of the team. You've said it periodically, Brooke, over the past couple of days. This team's 
you know, plan and direction seems to change with the wind. Hopefully within the next two or three weeks, we get something a little more definitive as far as what that plan actually is. I can wait to the trading deadline all I want, obviously, when things are maybe more active. But if somebody called me right now, if I'm the Canucks, and made me a lucrative offer for whether it be Bo Horvat or not, that I think I would make it the deadline, but I, I'll make it now. That team wants Bo now as an example. I have to do something. I have to clear cap room. Somebody's got to go if I'm going to try and if I'm going to try and fix my defense. And I say if because it still hasn't happened, even through last year's free agency. If, but if someone called with an offer I can't refuse, I pull the trigger now. Otherwise, I'm going to wait and say, okay, we'll see what happens. What's my hurry? And we're still hanging around the playoff hunt, uh, but odds of making it are, are long, I would say. Uh, ask us anything. My friend spotted Slash at a bar in Cabo. He went over and said hi. Slash asked him and a friend to sit down. They had beers together. The guy was very nice. That's from Gak. He met Slash of Guns N' Roses fame. A buddy of mine also, Dan, Roy Code, great friend of mine, passed away three years ago. Uh, but uh, he used to play in a band 30 years ago, let's say. And he met the boys from, I think they were opening for Motley Crue or something, and they were all playing a smaller club or something. He said, those guys, the Motley Crue guys, were really cool to them. So, And then there were other bands who weren't so cool, but the Motley Crue guys were really cool. They all sat down. So you got your Slash, you got your Motley Crues, which when I look at you, Dan, that's what I think, heavy metal. <laughs> I've read Slash's book uh, by all accounts. He, he actually does come off uh, you know, fairly endearing in that book. And, of course, with the... The uh, wild tales of life with Guns N' Roses. That would be a cool guy to meet. And always nice to see him for the occasional national anthem rendition where he's um, you know, plucking away on the Star Spangled Banner on his guitar with the, the top hat in tow. Uh, Motley Crue, I've read a couple of their books as well. Tommy Lee's uh, for sure. So, yeah, um, I've seen Motley Crue perform. I've not met any of the band members. But, um, yeah, and, and you know what? We, we've got Moj coming up, guys, and I, I'm, I've been thinking about this, and, and I'm going to ask him because I'm going to settle this bet once and for all because Moj is sort of the, resi- you know, the, the designated foodie of the Halford and Bruff show. I wonder what his stance is on breakfast for dinner because things got a little heated between the three of us yesterday. I was big. Um, it was nasty. I, I was fairly emphatic on, on breakfast for dinner is just completely overrated, um, and, and Brooke attested to that when his steak and eggs that he had for uh, for dinner last night just, yeah. just did did not deliver. I wonder where Moj uh, slides on that uh, uh, on that topic, and I'm I'm going to ask him in, in about oh, ten minutes time. Betty's in any day, any time kind of guy. Moj is, and by the way, the steak and eggs. Andy was right yesterday. And he said that's more breakfasty, though. I don't know if I want to do that for dinner. I did it anyway, but it, yeah, it's way better. At, uh, I'd have an omelet or ham and eggs and stuff like that for dinner, something different every now and then. That'd be cool. But the steak and eggs is not necessarily recommended. It was still steak and it was still eggs. Uh, back to our inbox. This one for me, of all things. Brooke, I saw you years ago on location at the Grey Cup. It was a huge moment for me. I wanted to come over and say hi. I was too shy. I'm kicking myself now because I think we would have gotten along quite well. That's from Pamela Anderson. So, uh... I'm married now, Pam. Sorry, but I feel really bad about that. And uh, one more quick one. Uh, two years ago, this from the Randorian, Rand- Randalorian, now in Calgary. Too many years ago, I met 
He says Cement Head, but I'll drop that on you because that used to be the late Dave Semenko's nickname as well, but he's he's past us. So uh, I met Semenko and Gretzky at Sugar Daddy's after a Canuck Oiler game on New Year's Eve, and they sat with us. Gretzky passed out. Some, Gretzky passed out. Semenko rang in the New Year with us, <laughs> and a very drunk Alicia Silverstone sat at our table at the Shark Club. I had a glass of wine with me, then her friends dragged her away. Don't blame her friends. Uh, that's pretty good. Brush with greatness. Can't argue with that one. When we come back, the mode speaking of brushes with greatness, the mode is coming up next. He's a presentation of the Clayton public house. Ask us anything. The inbox six fifty six fifty. a presentation of Dunbar lumber. I'm Brooke Ward, Dan O'Connor riding shotgun. Andy Cole is here as well. This is the sports net radio network.